0: I'm Taz of the Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi,
1: I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA
0: Inside Stuff. I'm O.J. Nanobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey,
1: I'm Elena Donan, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Double Clutch Double Clutch Double Clutch Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast, episode four hundred and six. Now, normally I would dive straight into around the around the association, give you a bit of a recap. But I'm actually going to do something a bit different this week. I'm going to jump straight into introducing our guest. And today's guest appears on both screen and in the written word for many of the international NBA.com portals as well as the sporting news. He's a FIBA play-by-play commentator. He's a proud Canadian. But perhaps most impressively of all, he's a former colleague of mine. Welcome, Carlin Gay, to the podcast.
0: Appreciate you having me, Nick. I, I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, 406 episodes, that's, that's pretty impressive. And, uh, but I'm a little upset that it took 406 episodes for me to get the
1: And uh, what Carlin is ignoring here is the several times I've asked him previously to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you have, you have, but time worked out now. So I guess uh, maybe I should play the lottery tonight and, and use the numbers four hundred six. Absolutely, and there. I have
1: to say, at four hundred six episodes in uh, UK basketball podcast circles is no joke.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I, not just don't limit it to just UK basketball podcasts. There's a there's a podcast that starts every day and doesn't make it to five episodes. So it's uh it is tough to get. I, I know I, I've had podcasts and a lot of them have failed. <laughs> so it's tough to get to just you know uh, you know fifty, let alone four and six. So congratulations to to everyone that has been has been involved. And I am really you know, grateful you asked for me to be here. And and
1: awesome. So to this chat. let's start right at the beginning. Um, our listeners and viewers won't know who you are so i always start with this question where are you from where do you live what's your name what do you do
0: all right well you can i'll i'll, I'll try to answer in order so where i'm from uh, i was born in montreal quebec canada um, I, I do speak french i know that's always the second question uh, but for the majority of my life spent uh you know growing up in toronto um, you know, I, I have uh, ties in both cities I, I, I do still call Montreal home Even though my entire family is in all Toronto right now um, But currently I, I, I sit as you mentioned uh, Or you might have mentioned uh, That I sit right now in Charlotte, North Carolina, USA That is, that is home um, That's where I uh, have laid my roots My wife is here, I met my wife here It's a great city um, And uh, I came here by way of Australia uh, So I've bounced around the world um, you know, Trying to hit all corners Trying to get the passport stamped up uh, you know, spent almost five years in Sydney, and it was it was you know a great great time. Uh, being there and learning really the game of basketball has, has allowed me to travel to different cities and different countries and kind of, um, you know, have an appreciation for how others view the game because here in North America, um, you know, we're pretty close-minded to, you know, the fact that basketball actually exists outside of these borders and, and that uh, it's played at a high level outside these borders. And also that there's fans outside of these borders that are just as passionate as we are here. Um, so that actually was a huge education for me um, to, to be able to, Learn uh, a little bit about how others view the game, how others have to sacrifice sleep to watch games. Um, you know, it, those are things that I think we take for granted here. I think uh, living on the East Coast in America, I complain about watching the Lakers, which starts at 10 p.m. You know, Eastern. Uh, where many others around the world got to wake up, you know, all hours of the morning, just to watch a game um, that that I take for granted for. So, uh, you know, the small things like that that I've I've really appreciated through my time, uh, you know, working in sport, working in basketball, um, and and also just appreciating the fact that a lot of people want to do what I that I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Um, and you know, I, I'm one of the lucky ones that that was able to make it through uh, and and you know get paid to to do what I love. So. Um, you know, I, I never take that for granted, but I always kind of try to, you know, reach out to, to those who, um, are looking for advice or try to pick my brain of how to get to, to the next level, the next step in their career. Um, because there was plenty of people that helped me along the way and not only in Canada, but Australia and and, and continue to help me in the United States. So, um, you know, grateful is what I can say. And, uh, you know, for those that don't know me, I hope they get to find a little bit about me over the next uh, hour or so.
1: And, um, Talk to us a little bit more about what your day job is.
0: Yeah. Um, so the, the day job is, uh, consistent of, um, you know, really covering the NBA from a global purview. Um, uh, we have a team here, um, that, that covers the NBA, uh, for multiple, uh, nba.com editions around the world. So we have Canada, uh, Australia, India in English, uh, we do have uh, in, in Spanish, Spain, Mexico, and Argentina, um, and Japan and Japanese right now. Um, there's there's going to be a point in time where I believe where we'll we'll have even more than these sites. Um, so that will come down the line, I'm sure. Uh, but for for now, it's it, it's fun, kind of you know covering the game. If you're, for example, a, from a Canadian perspective, you know you, you're really focusing on the Raptors and you know the 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 twenty odd Canadian players. You You know, second most amount of players in the entire NBA. If you're looking at Australia, we've had uh, quite a week. Um, You know, if you've been living under a rock, you know, the the biggest star in Australia finally got traded after not playing at all this season. So that's been fun covering that. Uh, And then, you know, not only the NBA but covering the, the game just from a global perspective has also been cool, too. So in Canada, they, they obviously fell short of making the Olympics this past summer. Uh, but Australia was able to, you know, medal for the first time ever. Uh, and being able to cover that um, and see the emotions from not only just people, you know, just the regular fan, but the people that have been covering the sport. Um, you know, and seeing what that has done for the game, the growth of the game in that country. You talk about Japan. Um, the Olympics were obviously there. That was a big moment for them. But they also have. Uh, you know, the, their first ever draft pick, I was able to, you know, be alongside covering that and watching what that meant uh, in Rui Hachimura getting selected by the Washington Wizards. And the list goes on and on. Spain and Argentina, um, you know, two two places where they do have in Spain, especially the domestic league. Some might call, um, you know, the ACB probably the second best league in the world outside of the NBA, if you if you want to say that. Um, and they've had, you know, Paul Gasol, Mark Gasol go through the last couple of years at a high level, and uh, you know had the appreciation of, you know, watching Mark, you know, win a championship for the Raptors, um, you know, in Argentina, Manning Ginobili meant so much in that golden age of basketball, meant so much to them, and he retired, and we had the site at, at that time to be able to cover that through. Um, so it, it's been fun. It really, really has been fun. Uh, Mexico got their first G League team, uh, you know, and and they're, you know, kind of working their way through. There's also the NBA Academy in both Mexico and India, where a ton of players have been working their way through and, and, and seeing them achieve their, um, you know, goals of getting to the next level of basketball, leaving, uh, you know, high school and, and moving on to, you know, either college and the pros, if you're Josh Giddey. Um, so it, it has been fun. i uh, really, really comfortable. Covering the NBA at multiple different levels, but also just basketball in general. You know, you, you just have the, the BCLA, BCLA. Um, you know, you have the BCL in certain in certain parts of the world. Uh, you know, you and I have spent time covering um, you know major FIBA events. Um, so to cover it from that perspective has been cool, uh, and, and I think um, that's where I think I get the most appreciation for because it it, you know outside of the NBA there's a lot of basketball, and I think we forget that. And when I say we. Us in north america forget that all often um and uh you know being able to to be at the forefront uh you know with the nba.com stamp behind us uh you know working with the team that i work with it, it, it really is truly fun so um on a daily basis i think that's just the, the Coles notes or spark notes version of what i could say is you know we do we do a lot um we cover those sites uh, and, and you know, I, I guess we have fun doing it.
1: And I, I mentioned in the intro, you're also a play-by-play commentator for FIBA. How did you get into commentary? Did you just wake up and be like, do you know what? I've got a great voice for calling sports games. How? Where did that start? Yeah,
0: that's a question. Um, so, honestly... It was kind of by accident. Um, I, I've always known that I wanted to do something in sport. I didn't know what that was. Uh, and <laughs> I, I just wanted to get a paycheck in sport. And, and it didn't matter whether I was writing or whether I was, well, originally I wanted to play. And once I out that, that wasn't going to happen for me. It was like, okay, what's the next option? Um, at a time, I thought I was going to become a scout. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I was going to get into coaching. Um, so I was I was going through a, a list of things. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, later in my life, in my in my teens where uh, I was I was trying to figure out what would be the closest thing to, you know, working in media. Um, and one of the original things was, you know, doing play by play. Little did I know it was, you know one of the toughest jobs to get because, you know, there is only one Mike Breen, you know, <laughs> there's there's only one, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mark Jackson. There's a, there's only one commentator per team. It, it's not like those jobs become available. And once you have them, you, you pretty much hold on to them for a very, very long time. So I didn't realize how hard it was to get into the field at that time. But, you know, you're young and you're dumb and you, you, you try your best to, to kind of find your way through. Uh, and I, my first job sort of figuring out that, you know, I could do this was actually in in a nightclub. Um, my cousin, who was a DJ at the time, asked me to kind of be his, his hype man, <laughs> essentially. And, uh, you know, I was super shy, did not want to talk on the mic. Um, but the only thing I had to do was really kind of count down to last call, <laughs> really. Uh, so I, I opened the mic probably three times a night and I counted down to last call. Uh, and that kind of gave me the confidence to be able to speak in public really uh, because people came up to me at that time. And all I was saying was, Hey, last call uh, is 50 minutes away, but people came up to me and be like, Hey, you have a great voice. And that was the, so I sort of got the ball rolling there and uh, you know, went to school for radio broadcasting um, you know, start, thought I was going to be a radio guy for a long time. Uh, I thought that was my entry point to, you know, eventually work my way into uh, you know, broadcasting or, or, or calling games. Um, and I did a lot of, you know, I don't want to call it grunt work, but I did a lot of uh, jobs for free on the way up, you know, covered a lot of high school uh, soccer games. And it's it's probably it's the most fun that I've I've ever had, um, you know, doing anything in sport. And
1: in the time you've been commentating, do you have uh, at the top of your mind a favorite call you've made or a favorite game that you've called?
0: Favorite game? Yes. I don't know. Favorite call. Favorite call. uh, they, they, they come so they, – they just come to your head. So I, I don't know what my favorite call would be. Um, favorite game is definitely at uh, you know, the World Cup 2019 in China, uh, in Shanghai. And I believe you were actually yeah. there for this game. Uh, Team USA, um, you know, on the ropes. Uh, and, you know, uh, they were playing Turkey. Turkey had never beat them in the uh, major tournament. It comes down to a final shot. Saw Silva literally right in front of me and Mark Clark's face had an opportunity to beat them with a buzzer beating three uh, and they escape with a win and, and go on to uh, to move on to the knockout stage had they lost that game it would have been disaster now little did we know that they would end up losing to France anyway and you know it was disaster for them um, you know that tournament didn't end up the way they wanted it to be um, but I think losing if they had lost in the you know the group stage to, to Turkey um, it, it would have been something special. Um, So I, I always remember that game back and forth. It was overtime. The crowd was so jazzed up before the game even started. The, I don't know if you remember, but they gave they gave Greg Popovich the biggest ovation I'd ever heard a head coach get. Hmm. You know, like they were so excited uh, just to see you know the Americans play and all the NBA players play the Jason Tatum's, Donovan Mitchell's, and everyone play um, that they were they they were rooting for B West throughout the game. And then all of a sudden, Scotty Wilbekin gets going, and Turkey starts to come back, and Douche Ballbae starts going, and all of a sudden, you see, you see the the momentum shift, but also the crowd shift, and and you would have swore you were in Istanbul, like it was it was like a, a Turkey home game all of a sudden. Um, so I'll never forget that. that that's goosebumps. Um, so that's number one. A close a close two is Luka Doncic uh, I was able to call Luka Doncic's game uh, in twenty seventeen. Uh, in, in the knockout stage. And that this is pre, you know, the NBA version of Luka Doncic. No one really knows about him in North America. Um, they know that he's over there doing his thing in Spain, but they don't really know about him. And uh, I think that was the first time on the world stage where North America started paying attention to be like, oh, he could be the number one overall pick. He still wasn't, <laughs> you know, surprisingly, but people are like, oh, he could be the number one overall pick. And to have, you know, the ability to do that, uh, where my voice uh, is a soundtrack to a part of his history, uh, because he's going to go on to do great things is is you know uh, very humbling and, and something that I'll, uh, I'll always yeah, remember as well.
1: Yeah, I can. I watched those games uh, live. Probably listened to you commentate before I met you. Um, before we get off the subject of commentary, uh, we had a question in the Twitch chat um, over as a commentator. Which do you think is more important out of uh, your kind of level of knowledge or your personality and your ability to kind of transmit emotion? into what you're saying? I
0: I would say the level of knowledge, because I think anyone that wants to do commentary for basketball specifically, or has already gotten the job well they're already passionate about the sport so that's going to just come true through naturally like uh, that's just going to uh be a part of it but also not everybody has the ability to, to get to the octaves that you know say a gus johnson gets to and um you know all these uh out of the the world commentators that scream at the top of their lungs like you don't you don't have to do that like that's not for everybody i think if you're you're yourself uh that that comes across the best way as a, as a commentator so i would definitely say no level of knowledge because, um, you know, if you're able to teach the viewers as long as uh, at the same time entertain them, um, you know, that that's, you know, invaluable. Uh, you know, edutainment is what we call it. You know, you want to educate and edu- entertain at the same time. So if you're able to do that, Uh, I think that's, you know, the the best, you know, part of both worlds is just being yourself and then also being able to provide a little something that, you know, a fan, which, you know, as you know, and and most fans would know, they they have Google too, you know, (laughs) they have all access to all the advanced numbers that we do. So uh, is it that little nugget of information that, you know, behind the scenes that you can't get uh, as the average fan, can you find that and and give it to the average fan, um, you know, through commentary? I think that's what takes you over the top. I think. Um, you know, excitement is cool, but, um, you know, if there's no substance behind it, then, then what are we doing?
1: And one of the key topics I wanted to talk to you about was Canadian basketball. And for the benefit of, uh, British people who may not be on top of the Canadian squad, particularly for a nation who culturally and accent wise don't always, uh, distinguish themselves in the same way an Italian would from Americans. Uh, so this is a, a right. national team that could, in theory, on one team, have the likes of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jamal Murray, Andrew Wiggins, RJ Barrett, Lou Dort, Brandon Clark, Chris Boucher, Ken Birch, Corey Joseph, Trey Lyles, Kelly Linnick, Dwight Powell, Tristan Thompson, among the many other amazing Canadian players that have appeared over the past 10 years or so. Um But one thing I can't help but notice when I watch Canada in uh, FIBA tournaments and the Olympics, and they never seem to get this squad all together at the same time. Why do you think that is?
0: Right. It's it's been the million dollar question that Canadians have been trying to figure out uh, for at least, I would say, the last 15 years, um, because there has been times where Um, You know, you've had enough NBA talent to maybe get six players or so on a team. And and even that has been a struggle. Um, I think the two March tournament in 2015 was like the beginning of things to to really show that, hey, we could be a world power. And I say we, I mean, Canada could be a world power. Um, And they failed in that in that moment. And that was probably the most talented team at the time. Uh, It was Andrew Wiggins led, um, you know, and they come short and losing to Venezuela and no one. Um, would have predicted that going into the tournament because they were leading huge, uh, and then all of a sudden collapse in the last few minutes of the game. They start blaming the referees. All these things that you do when you're a, um, a team that is not good enough to overcome those circumstances. And uh, as you know, you know you, you've been close to the FIBA game for a very long time. If you're not, if your team's not good enough or mentally tough enough to come Over to overcome some of those things, those shortcomings, like the referees, not the calls not going your way, how intense the crowd could be in some certain situations. Then, sorry, you're just not going to win at a high level. And I think at that time, that might have been this with Canada. And then we didn't see them together uh, for a very long time. It was, it was that was the start of things. And you you said, All right, well, Wiggins is going to learn from this and be a better player. And then we didn't see him for over six years, really, uh, you know, come with the national team. And uh, it it was left to guys like Corey Joseph and Tristan Thompson, and at some points, Kelly Olinick. Um, And they did a great job of of doing their best to show up uh, and really fly the flag, but the results weren't there. I think the most disappointing uh, tournament that we have seen in Canada was, you know, this past summer, um, you know, almost just a year ago. uh, And I actually was there, you know, I was was lucky enough to be able to be on the call for that. In Victoria, BC, you host the tournament. uh, So you set it up perfectly for you to to be as comfortable as you can. And I know that we were dealing with the coronavirus uh, and we were actually in a bubble. Um, So, it was a situation where, you know, Canada basketball tried to basically host this tournament at home because they didn't want any more excuses. They didn't want to have Canada in these last chance tournaments have to fly to the Philippines, where that has been the case in the past. Um, you know, and on the final, you know, game, you lose to France because, you know, your guys are tired or jet lagged or whatever the case may be. You want them in comfortable surroundings. You want to be able to control the hotels. You want to be able to, uh, control the practice times, the, the start times of the games. They set that all up and still came up short against the Czech Republic. And, and what was a fantastic game? Um, you know, Blake showed up that game, uh, he, he was 37 at the time. Um, and he had an incredible, he probably had the game of his life, honestly, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh. A naturalized player for the Czech Republic just shows up and destroys Canada. That's, you know, filled with all those names that you mentioned, uh, you know, NBA stars. And here's Blake Shill, you know, who, who's, you know, probably on the verge of retirement at the national team level and was able to get them, you know, beyond uh, the semifinal game. So that was disappointing. Um, I think a lot of people in Canada basketball were disappointed with the result, uh, but they were motivated with a couple of things, Nick. Um, the one number one was the fact that they were able to get Nick Nurse, uh, who is a world class head coach. Um, To have him and and kind of use him uh, as a guy to not only help recruit, but also massage this program, because it's desperately needed that. um, I I think that helps, Um, you know, the clout that he come, you know, not only winning uh, a world title, um, you know, an NBA championship, but winning with the Raptors. Where a lot of these players, you know, grew up watching the Raptors and probably thought to themselves, this would never happen in our lifetime, may never happen in our lifetime. And he was able to do that. And and they are as much of a fan uh, of the team as they are of him. Um, so I think that was interesting. Uh, I think that helps. I think, you know, um, losing in that fashion probably left a bad taste in these guys' mouths. And they also realized, and these are things that I've heard from, you know, the the aftermath being in that bubble was that, you know, we can't just come together three weeks before the tournament. You know, we have to build like some of these other teams do. And uh, as you know, in Europe, like there's not just a a team that comes together. I mean, Team USA aside, there's not a team around the world that wins at a high level that just comes together three weeks before the Olympics and rolls. Out and says, "Hey, let's go out and, and win this tournament." It, it's more of you know, you're 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 together for the World Cup. You're together for you know the Continental Cups. You're together. Then you're together for the Olympics. It's a core group that you know follows around for you know over probably five to six summers. And Canada hasn't had that. They just haven't had that. Um, and and this might be the start of it. The last summer might be the summer of it. We'll see. You know, a lot of people said that they're coming back and they want to you know compete and and, and qualify for. You know, the World Cup qualify for the Olympics and, and win at a high level. But we'll see 2022 September. There's the America. Let's see if, if Wiggins is going to show up. Let's see if, you know, uh, you know, uh, Shea Alexander, who was injured uh, and couldn't be there. Let's see if he's going to show up. Jamal Murray, uh, again, who couldn't be there. Let's see if he's going to show up. If these guys are healthy and they don't show up, then we know it's all for naught. Um, but you know, the talent is there. It's time to start to put. I think it would be disappointing for Canadians if they. Uh, you know, field a lesser than team at the America Cup, because, you know, even though the America Cup isn't on the, you know, isn't high on the pecking order of things you want to win, it would be nice to see uh, a a full strength Canada team go out and dominate some of these other teams like the Argentinas and everybody else uh, that have been dominant in this region for a very long time.
1: And if I can ask you about Canadian basketball more generally um, outside the national team, um, we've kind of already covered a little bit about how um, it's really risen in profile and its ability to develop elite players. Um, And I have heard a lot of factors kind of stated, trying to explain this, there was the Vince Carter effect of um, how incredible he was to watch in Toronto. There was the success of Steve Nash, back-to-back MVPs, one of the most fun players that's ever played in the NBA. Uh, The Raptors win a title. So there's all these kind of factors Uh, that kind of help grow the popularity of basketball but my question to you is has this uh, rise in profile was it only a question of popularity in the first place or have there been things going on in the background too in terms of developing more coaches or making the sport more accessible to people or are there things that we don't see as non-Canadians? Yeah, I, I would,
0: you know, it's easy from the outside looking in to just say, hey, they're there, so that's the reason why this game got popular, but um, I think it's a big part of it, but I think it's it's just a part of it, um, you know, from, I wasn't old enough to, to grow up in an era where, you know, the Raptors weren't around, uh, the, uh, the Raptors came in 95, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 11 years old nine years old so i'm i'm, I'm looking at you know I'm, I'm lucky to have the raptors a, a big part of my life um from the old heads that i talked to though the, you know basketball was huge especially high school basketball was huge in toronto prior to the raptors you know showing up um you know gyms were packed um you know in the, in the early 90s and even in the 80s uh and there were some massive stars um you know and canada did well um in, in certain tournaments at the you know at the world-class level um, you know, behind the guy, you know, backs of Leo Rautins and you know Eli Pasquale and uh, Jay Triano, um, you know, and, and those names that you know still hold a lot of weight in Canada. Um, Jay Triano actually is an assistant coach here with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, you know, when you talk about uh, Leo Rautins, if you're a League Pass subscriber, um, you've heard his voice on Raptor Broadcast for years. Um, and here's a guy that played, you know, got drafted in the NBA, and if it wasn't for an injury, would probably had a you know a, a ten year career playing uh, the NBA. Um, Bill Weddington, um another guy that's a, a broadcaster now. I think he does games for the Bulls. Um, but he you know was a, was a big part of Canadian basketball uh, at the time. Stuart Granger um, is another name that you know, he played at the University of Bill Nova, um, and you know was one of the first black uh, players to to play on the national team for Team Canada um and also made the nba um actually i think he was the first black canadian that was ever selected in the nba draft um so there there are there were names in the 80s um but what what was i I guess the the reason why you don't see or you don't hear as much about it um uh, today is well first of all it's the 80s is a long time ago, unfortunately. But secondly, um, I guess the spotlight um, and, and the, the access to information wasn't as widely known. Um, I know covering high school basketball in Canada, that, that's sort of where I got my start in, in terms of just covering the game. Um, I, was, I was in the era of Andrew Wiggins, Tyler Ennis, um, you know, the, the names that you know, Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph, all these guys. I, I feel like I grew up with them because I covered them while they were, you know, in high school. Uh, And and at that time, I was shocked to see how how the quality level, you know, of of high school basketball, Um, you know, and it it took a while for the Canadian talent to kind of export from Canada to really uh, force others around the world to focus in on Canada. Um, and you know, you, you could, you could give the Raptors a shout out. You can give Vince Carter and, um, you know, Tracy McGrady, who was, uh, obviously had a huge fan base at the time when he was with Toronto, even if it was a short period of time, people remember those moments, um, you know, to, to spark your imagination. Um, so I think I, I would credit the Raptors. I would credit the Raptors with sparking the imagination of being able to play in the NBA one day, but I wouldn't credit them for the explosion of basketball per se. Cause I think basketball would always be a, uh, you know, a, a popular sport in Canada, um, considering, you know, hockey's hockey's a sport, there's no question about it, but hockey's a very expensive sport to play. Um, and we can't play football, soccer all year round. So basketball is kind of that, that next sport, um, you know, and you have a ton of immigrants that are coming to the, to the uh, country um, and they're first generation Canadians like, like myself, um, the first sport that they gravitate towards to if they can't afford to play hockey is, is normally basketball. Um, so I think that explosion would have happened anyway, just, just based off of those things. But I think having the the Raptors in place, it it gave you that feel of, okay, we can make it to the NBA, um, because it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, far out to to see yourself sitting, uh, in an NBA game and seeing, oh, to yourself, well, maybe one day I could be that person. So that's, that's more of what the Raptors were able and the Grizzlies actually, uh, what able to do for, for the, for the time that Grizzlies were there.
1: And You segued for me. I was already going to segue in that direction. Uh, For anyone young enough or lucky enough to be young enough to not realize, uh, Canada did originally have two NBA franchises with the Grizzlies being in Vancouver. Is it fair to assume that Canada might be ready for a second NBA franchise again?
0: I think so. Um, I think so. But I would actually pivot and say, you know what, the NBA franchise would be cool. It would be even better to me to have the WNBA mm-hmm. franchise uh, in Canada, wherever that may be. Um, and the reason why I say that is because for the same reasons that I think, you know, the Raptors kind of spark the imagination of players to think that they could make the NBA. I think that could happen on the WNBA side. Um, you know, Canada is close enough to, to Cleveland, Detroit um you know it's not it's drivable to boston in certain parts of the country where if you really if you had the means you could you could afford to uh, you know you you could get to four nba cities um you know including toronto um but uh, it would be tougher to get to a w nba game new york is probably the closest um you know brooklyn where they play is probably the closest and that's that's a double digit hour drive um and and new york's not a cheap place to get to so it's uh i i would i would basketball overall would have more value in Canada um, to have a WNBA team, but also uh, strengthen the domestic leagues that are currently there um, and finally have a, uh, a women's in Canada um, that, that's national. Um, I think those, those things I would take before I would add another NBA team. It would be great to have multiple NBA teams. Cool, but let's let's take care of some of this, the the holes that that are already there um and, and i think that that would be one of them get a David team can and how um
1: uh how how nostalgic does uh brian big country reeves make you feel
0: you know it's funny i don't i don't know if you've ever saw the the film uh finding big country yes um, yeah, yeah. i think it's on amazon here so i actually spoke to uh, the director of that film uh, interviewed her for, uh, for our, the Raptors pod table. Um, and she grew up in Vancouver, was a huge Brian Big country reef fan. And the, the reason why she did the film is because she legitimately had no idea what happened to in post-basketball. It was like the Grizzlies left uh, and, and all, all memory of the Grizzlies went with them um, on that side of the country. So, um, you know, break country Reeves, although, you know, people remember him for, um, sort of, kind of lumbering around as a big man. And if you remember that era, he kind of flamed out of the NBA, and you never heard from him again. But he was a great college player. Um, you know, he was worthy of where he got selected by Grizzlies. Um, and it wasn't his fault that the Grizzlies were bad. You know, they just didn't have a team around him. And you know, injuries happen, and all the other things. So um, I was, I'm pretty nostalgic uh, for for Big Country, and not maybe not the Grizzlies franchise per se, but those who came through Vancouver and played there for some time. Uh, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, um, you know, I think a lot of people underrate what he did in his career because he did it in Vancouver, um, you know, I, I think he, if he had the same career in New York, uh, you know, people would be, you know, you know, throwing shower, you know, parades for this guy every time he entered an NBA arena. And I know he's still involved in the NBA and he's at, he's at a high level, an exec level. Um, but, you know, he was basically 20 and 10 for a long time of his career, but it was happening in Vancouver. Um, you know, and if you go to the, through the list of former Grizzlies, you would think to yourself, man, I didn't know this guy played there. I didn't know this guy had a, a cup of coffee there. And uh, so it, it is funny to see, um, you know, or, or even hear. When people talk about the Grizzlies and, and, and just kind of think of it as a failure, I, I think if you watch the Finding Big Country movie, you realize that that's not really the case. Uh, I know that they're actually working on a documentary about that, um, you know, about what happened in Vancouver, because I think a lot of people don't realize that it wasn't that fans weren't interested. It wasn't that, you know, there was an interest in basketball in Canada and all those other things that we've heard. Um, and I think that doc should answer a lot of those questions and might even open up the door to what you asked me before, if, they, if there might be another a team in Canada, whether it be in Vancouver or Montreal. Um, So, I I, uh, but to answer your question, I I do think when I think about the Grizzlies, I think more about the players uh, than the team and I do think about one thing uh, that that maybe Canada misses a little bit. They used to have uh, a Naismith Cup match between the Grizzlies and Raptors and I miss rivalries in sports. I I don't know that, you know, outside of of football, uh, you know, Premier League, I don't know that North American sports has, um, or even sports in general, has has those rivalries anymore. Um, You know, I I don't think there's hate between teams and fan bases like there is around the world. Um, You know, and I think about, as an Arsenal fan, when I think about Tottenham, I almost want to puke. But if you're a Raptor fan, you know, you wonder, all, all the other 29 teams, are you that upset about? them you know do you do you do you you like seeing them lose i don't think so i think when you were if you were in the 90s and you were a nick fan you love to see the pacers or the heat lose but i don't know if you have that same feeling now um you know the laker fans used to hate the celtics i don't know if that same hate is still there so uh, i i would love to see rivalries come back in sport and that that i would i miss sort of uh with 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 the Grizzlies.
1: and if i can uh move along a Bit and change the subject. one of the reasons I asked you to be on the show just in terms of timing was uh, it popped onto my timeline a video that you'd worked on uh, with some of the team at Sporting News for Black History Month and if you're listening in the UK uh, you may be a bit confused right now because Black History Month in the UK we celebrate in October whereas in US Canada it's February so it's right now um, and one of the things I really liked about the video was um, if you haven't already seen it, guys, uh, check it out, follow, uh, check either Carlin's timeline or uh, the Sporting News uh, at the Sporting News, um, was it really kind of, um, history in general, I think, can get simplified to the point where you know certain names, the names that for whatever reason have always been put forward. But that means that there's a lot of people in the background who don't get celebrated as much. And I think that's exactly what you were trying to do in that video. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about like any of the people you chose to highlight in that video um, and why you picked them in particular?
0: Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, I think for me, honestly, Nick, it started a little bit more early. It started earlier um, than just this year. Um, you know, last year, uh, the NBA.com team and the international team, myself included, we did a good job, I think of covering um, just, and focusing on black athletes within basketball. Um, and through that, I was able to learn a lot about, you know, the history uh, prior to the NBA, um, you know, and, and 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 I also found out about, you know, Nat Sweetwater Clifton, Chuck Cooper and Earl Lloyd. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, those are the three men that were able to break the NBA's color line um, by either being drafted, signed a, a professional contract and actually stepping on the floor. And they all did that in the same year. And I wondered to myself, well, we I've always heard about Jackie Robinson. You know, like we, I've always heard about him. You know, stepping onto the to, to you know breaking the color barrier in baseball, and, and at the time, baseball was the most popular sport and everything else. Um, so it made sense why history holds him out of such high regard, and as do I. Um, but I but I wondered, you know, why don't I hear more about who those guys were in the NBA or even the NFL or college football or any sport for that matter? And um, you know, I, I, growing up in Canada, I knew a little bit about Willie O'Ree, um, but just a little bit. I didn't know I didn't know enough about him. Uh, and, and again, for those who don't know, Willie O'Ree was the first Black player in the NHL, National Hockey League. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of shine a light more on those names. And um, even growing up, uh, you know, with an interest in Black history, I still didn't know enough. Um, and that, that was the, the reason why I sort of decided that, you know, I uh, was one, one of the things that I wanted to hone in on through our Black History Month video series. And, and we have one more video uh, that actually came out today and another one you know, that will close the month next week. It was a series of four. Um, and it was important to me in the first winter to really kind of highlight other names and also just at least put it out there so that people can do their own research on those names. Um, and, and some stuff got cut out of the video that I wish we were able to make it. Uh, like I went and do my research. I didn't know that there was a lot of black at the time, um, that rode horses in the Kentucky Derby. I think there was, um, you know, it it was, the stat was something like, I think eight out of the. First eleven Kentucky Derby winners were were black. Um, don't quote me on that. It was it was something along those lines. But it, it shocked me to know, and and I'd, I'd never heard about it. You know, I always thought of You know, horse racing as a rich elite sport, and um, you know, a part of that was still that at the time. Um, but the, but you know, black jockeys were were helping these horses win races and. Um, that sort of gets deleted. Uh, and I think that's something that we, we could have uh, sort of highlighted a little bit more than the Negro Leagues. There's so much history in the Negro Leagues that I think, um, you know, we, we kind of forget because we've so focused so much on what happened in MLB um, as if the Negro Leagues wasn't high level baseball in its own right. Uh, so it, it, was, it was little things like that that I, I wanted to highlight in this video. Um, you know, my, my colleagues here at Sporting News, Andreas Hale did a great job of, of writing and voicing, uh, the black, uh, you know, athlete, the black culture in, in, in sports and highlighting what Allen Iverson meant to the game of basketball and, and, and what, uh, black athletes meant to the touchdown dance in the NFL. And, um, you know, he, he highlighted Serena Williams, uh, crip walking at the, uh, you know, after winning a major tournament and all those things, um, you know, that just having, it, it was almost like, a you know, hey, all these athletes are just trying to have fun, you know, just try to inject a little bit of fun. Because sports could be serious, but it doesn't have to be. And it shouldn't be. It's a a game at the end of the day. Um, And so I really enjoyed that. And today, uh, Gil Gil McGregor uh, wrote and and voiced another beautiful piece, um, just highlighting all the the protests uh, that, you know, some black athletes had to endure. And and that was, you know, uh, it gave me goosebumps just watching it uh, before we even put it out there. Uh, because it was so many things, and it wasn't even you know it wasn't even things that were just you know here in America, um, but what the WNBA players did in the bubble, um, I think we kind of glossed over that, and that just happened, <laughs> you know, um, you know what the NBA players did in you know, in the bubble. You know, the, the, the Bucks were on their way to winning a championship and decided they weren't going to you know play in a, in a, in a playoff game. Um, you know, I think when we as time goes on, I think so much stuff happens in our world right now um, that we forget to slow down and actually appreciate. Um, and, and some of those moments are, you know, groundbreaking and, and, and really give me, give me chills thinking about what that person or the, those teams would have been thinking about in those moments. Cause it takes a lot of bravery to do some of that stuff. You, you, you feel like you're, you know, what Kelly Kaepernick did, um, you know, he basically, you know, gave it his, his lifelong dream of playing in the NFL up, uh, for a greater cause. And, and we kind of just like lost over it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, Eric, agreed alongside him, you know, and college, just glossed over it. So, you know, Muhammad Ali gave away his, his, championships, you know, just, you know, for, uh, to, to, because he, he thought that there was, uh, you know, there, he, he was fighting for, for other people's rights that couldn't fight for themselves. So it was, it, you know, pieces like that, I think, um, you know, and not just this month, but I hope, you know, going forward, we, we go back to, uh, the next, uh, piece should be coming out next Wednesday and I'll give you a sneak peek. It, it is on uh, black women in sports. Um, and I, and I do I am excited about that one probably the most um, for two reasons. One, I do think that a lot of black women get overlooked in in certain areas, uh, especially in sport. Uh, and second, it's it's gonna be the lead into our our women history Month, which is in March here in, in uh, North America, um, and where we're gonna have the same sort of rollout for throughout the weeks uh, of really highlighting a lot of women um, in sport. So, and, and their impact and what they've done. So uh, that that really excites me because it's almost like a crossover of two things that I've, that I've really wanted to kind of highlight, and uh, I think our team has wanted to highlight. Um, and, you know, outside of covering the games, I think outside of watching basketball and getting paid, you know, to do so, um, you know, being able to, to put a spotlight on things that I think deserve to be to put a spotlight on uh, or my, or being a part of things that my team thinks deserve to be put a spotlight on or a small part of whether – um, it's just, you know, adding a, a one edit here or there. I think that's what excites me about, uh, you know, our, our job and, you know, and the company and, you know, all the praise in the world to all the women and men that are actually doing uh, great jobs is not just, you know, covering sport and, you know, the games, but uh, trying to highlight the messages that some of these athletes or athletes in the past um, are, are, are trying to get across.
1: Thank you for that uh, very comprehensive overview and I think one of the things I'm always struck by is how I always see either on social media timelines or things like that a kind of perception that a lot of this uh, subject matter is like way in the past Um, but even just within my own lifetime and like one generation removed you you don't need to need to go further than the MBA to think we're we're used to seeing LeBron James being outspoken on these types of subjects now, but you only go back a decade or more and there's Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf kind of run out of the NBA for being outspoken on the same topics um, and having the national anthem issue, which has become such a bugbear in the NFL, for example, and things like that. Where in the 90s, if you tried to be outspoken on that topic as a black athlete, it wasn't it was unacceptable to the point where no team would employ you yeah
0: yeah it's and it's, i think the the one thing that i hope we continue to get to as a society and and i'll just use sports because that's what I'm, I'm focused on and and most people are that are watching this or listening to this I hope that, you know, at some point you don't have to be at the level of LeBron James to get the attention when you say something. Um, You know, I I hope that, you know, because LeBron is a special case. Like he's he's allowed himself uh, to work, you know, and, and through achievement on the court to work himself into a position where and financially, I'm sure to work himself into a position where you know, no matter what he says, we're, we're, we're going to kind of allow him to say it, um, whether people like it or not. Um, and I hope that, you know, you know, and call the situation that wasn't the case. Like he, he was replaceable LeBron, you know, it, He's not replaceable. You know, he's he's been the league's best player for almost 20 years. Uh, So it's I hope that people don't have to be in LeBron's shoes to be able to get out a positive message. Um, And again, making sure that those messages are positive and and, and trying to bring forth change in in a positive way, not just talking about race, just in general. Um, so I do hope that it, you know those athletes that do speak out or choose to speak out or are afraid to speak out or are a little bit more comfortable speaking out don't have to get to that level and I hope the message is received better um, by us you know as fans that, you know, many people would take whatever LeBron James says and, and, you know, hold on to it. If the 12th man on the bench was saying it, you know, I, I, I hope that the, the message back is and ah, you're just the 12th man on the bench, just worry about getting on the court. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do hope that, um, you know, because there's a lot of people that come to sport for as an escape, um, you know, and, and use it as uh, an escape from life. It's, I call, I call it the adult's candy store, um, you know, but there, there is some, you know, level of, um, you know, we have to remove, that because you know these athletes that we watch on a daily basis they are human too and they're going through life just like you and i so um i do hope that when they are trying to you know get our attention towards these messages and these causes that we pay a little bit more attention because they are ultimately going to impact us because we we are living on the same planet
1: and if i could um i'm conscious of your time i know you've got a hard stop coming up but I was very determined to squeeze this question in wherever I could, as uh, I remembered you're a pro wrestling guy. Yes. So, um, Kurt, hit me with the soundbite, please. Makes silly nonsense. So, for anyone who uh, this may be the first time you're watching the show, this is the part of the show where I ask a question that is absolute nonsense. Um, so, my question to you is: if you could add one pro wrestler from history to any current NBA team, who are you choosing and why?
0: Well, how how could I, you know, I didn't know this was coming, but I will say, because the first thing that came to my mind is a a vignette. And if you're a true pro wrestling fan, you can go back to remembering where you were when you saw it. Uh, And how can I not say Mr. Perfect? How can I not say Mr. Perfect on the basketball court? You know, shooting over his head and going in and, uh, you know, you know, kind of doing the horse shots and, and all of them falling because, of course, he's perfect. So, you know, if I if I am an NBA GM, uh, the late great uh, Kurt Henning would be my uh, would be my choice because, again, he's perfect. And, you know, game on the line at the foul line, he could close his eyes and shoot it and probably go in because he is indeed Mr. Perfect.
1: Nice. I am. Um, he's actually one of my all time favorites. Um, I took this far too seriously. I came up with an entire lineup. Okay, um, so I've got Rey Mysterio running the point. I have <laughs> uh Ron Simmons, aka Farouk, playing the two, okay. but also as my squad enforcer. <laughs> and then I have three guys who actually played at college. Uh, so my I've 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 gone for Bully Ball. So I have Kane, The Undertaker, and Kevin Nash. Uh, Kevin Nash actually played D1 Ball for Tennessee. He, did. he uh, did. And then played pro in Germany as well before he became Diesel. and I didn't know that. Stuff. So, yeah, he, he got injured playing in Germany, which ended his uh, pro basketball career, okay. uh, which put him on that path to becoming a pro wrestler. But, yeah, um, as always, I take those far too seriously. Um, I don't know if you have any more time or if you need to drop.
0: I got, I got, I got nine, I got nine more minutes for you. So I'm I'm enjoying this. So let's, let's keep it rolling. Okay.
1: So one other, these questions are going to be quite random now because they're questions. I thought you'd have an interesting answer to that, uh, have, but things that have interested me. So talk to me, you're, you're in Charlotte, uh, home of the Hornets. Miles Bridges never caught my attention before this season. I watched him destroy the Knicks. And then I watched almost every Hornets game after that to see if he was actually that good or if that was a weird game. And he's looked like a different player this season. Is it just a, uh, is it just opportunity? Why has he been so good this year?
0: To be honest with you, I was actually at that game um, that I think you're referencing. He he had an incredible game where he was just making closing shots. Like it, it was a, it was a closed game in the last five minutes. Kemba started off going crazy in that game, if I remember correctly. He had like 19 in the first half or something like that. Um, before I even got in my seat, I looked up at the scoreboard, and Kemba was you know, closing in on 20 points in that first quarter uh, and looked like the Knicks were going to blow them out. And then all of a sudden, Miles Bridges came back and, and made it interesting. Uh, Nick, the, the answer is, yes, I know he's made improvements on his handle. Uh, obviously, he's become a, a much improved you know, shooter, um, you know he's shooting close to forty percent the last you know a season anyway from three shooting forty uh, percent this season that it's fallen off a little bit uh, as he's taking you know more difficult attempts but it's contract year like that that is the answer <laughs> that is simply the answer it is a contract year uh, and, and Miles Bridges wants to get paid um, he's still on his rookie deal from when he got drafted uh, this is the final year of his contract. They obviously didn't opt to uh, sign him long-term in the summer. They said, you know what, go out and prove it. You had a nice season last year. Let's go out and prove it. And he's taking them up on that offer. And, and they're actually going to, you know, the Hornets are going to have to pay him a lot more money now than they probably would have if they had just signed him in the off season um, to a long-term deal. Uh, and the other part of that, uh, that I think doesn't get talked about enough is the fact that, you know, Gordon should be that secondary scorer, even, even the first score on, on the team, but he hasn't been, um, you know, Willing to to be as aggressive to get make sure that he gets his shots like he's only taking uh, 12 attempts per game I think that's three down from where he was last year Um, You know and a guy that's getting paid as much as he is a guy that came into Charlotte to be the guy uh, For him to take that step back to allow miles bridges to kind of you know thrive Um, You know miles bridges taking six more shot attempts than he was here. So his averages should go up but it's also just allowing um, you know, him to be able to do that. And and you can't do that without a guy like Gordon are taking a step back and not having a problem with him uh doing that this season. So contract year and also the opportunity that he's getting. Um maybe players could put up big numbers if they if they get the shots
1: to do. And appearing in um incredible basketball runs also featuring John Wall and Michael Beasley Tyreek Evans uh has looked good in YouTube videos and the league randomly or seemingly at random seemed to announce he was uh, eligible again following I believe what was a banned substance um time away from the league Um, which team should look at Tyreek
0: I think a team that needs scoring punch off the bench um, and that, and that team is probably the Lakers. Um, You know, they, they need anything, any help that they could get at this time. And, and it's not just scoring punch, but it's also guys that can help create, Um, you know, outside of LeBron uh, and, and, and Russell Westbrook, there's not really much of, I will give them AD, but there's not really much of of guys who can go out and get their own shot. A lot of the, the players on their team are, are guys who need to be spoon fed. Uh, And Tyreek Evans, you know, if he comes back being what he was, you know, even I'm not talking about rookie rookie or Tyreek Evans, where he won rookie of the year. And I think he averaged 20 points per game. He he went nuts. Um, I'm not talking about that version of him. But if he comes back to being, you know, what he was, um, you know, in his time in New Orleans, um, where he was a guy that I think he was in the teens in terms of points per game, where he can create his own look and, you know, find others. That's more of a Tyreek Evans, that I think. Uh, would be valuable to not only any team, but I think spe- specifically the Lakers, because they are they're in cap jail. Um, you know, obviously not making a move at the trade deadline. You know, they're they're sitting what ninth place in the Western Conference. Um, you know, they, they need any all all the help that they can get. And if Kendrick Nunn is not going to be able to get back on the court anytime soon, um, then Tyreke Evans probably fills the role that Kendrick Nunn would have been filling uh, had he been healthy.
1: And final question. Um, there's been a couple of coaches um, at the Raptors organization with ties to the UK. Nick Nurse obviously coached for a long time, but also one of his former assistants and now head coach of the Timberwolves, Chris Finch. Yes. Uh, they were kind of big rivals in the domestic league here as I was growing up and watching these games. So A, it is um, just as incredible for me Um almost more so seeing their rise to being NBA head coaches from watching them coach in glorified leisure centres when I was a teenager. (laughs) Um, But what do you... uh, Have you talked to those guys personally and what um, do you think uh, that kind of broader experience internationally might have given those guys compared to someone who's kind of been either a former player or someone who's like... People who come out of the Spurs organization, they kind of retire. They're assistant with Pop, and then they're in the NBA, and they kind of they never have that like hardship of guys like Finch and Nurse who really have to pay their dues before they make it back to the NBA or the states.
0: I think what what it brings and what it allows them to do is think outside of the box. Um, And and, you know, not no disrespect to the NBA coaches because I, I probably wouldn't do as good a job as any of the NBA coaches that have jobs currently or have been fired recently. But you know. You see it with the Raptors, um, you know, often in, in games. They are Nick Nurse presses more than any other team. You know, he, he's using uh, out of timeout plays uh, where he's lining three guys up, uh, you know, in in a row, and basically kind of has them uh, running football plays, um, you know, after a timeout to get a, a shot off at the buzzer. Um, Chris Finch has been pretty innovative offensively. If you've watched any Timberwolves games, and you know, feel bad for you if you spend time watching Timberwolves games, but uh, for those of us that do. Um, you know, this is a top 10 offense that he has. And yes, Anthony Edwards and and Carl Towns are great players, um, but being able to find them easy looks, that hasn't been the case for them the last couple of coaches. Um, So, you know, trying things, I think, I think coming out from, you know, coming from I'll call it the FIBA world or just the international basketball world, um, you come with a different perspective in the NBA to try different things uh, because a lot of the time when you're, you're going through those leagues that they would have played in, um, you're just throwing things at the wall. And, and most times they work because they're so quirky in some of those leagues. Um, NBA players are a little bit more skeptical about their coaching. You know, they, they, they want to make sure that, hey, you know more basketball than them and that you're not going to embarrass them when you're out there. Uh, and for those two guys to be able to not only gain the trust of players through their quirkiness, um, but also bring the innovation to the league uh, that I think that you know, uh, you know most of the league has been missing. Uh, I think those two things specifically are, are, are what uh, you know the the, the, nor- the the regular coach that comes through the North American system would probably be missing. Because again, you're talking about two top ten offenses in the Raptors. And, you know, the the, the the Timberwolves and yes, Towns and Van Vliet are all stars. But if you were to go beyond the top two players on each of those teams, you, you'd wonder how these guys would score. <laughs> you know, you, you really would. Um, and, and they've been able to pull it off. So uh, I, I enjoy watching them, um, you know, play basketball uh, and, and kind of coach basketball. And, you know, if they were able to get that one guy, which you need in the NBA, a top 10 player, um you know you would see a lot more praise shot their way um through what they're doing on the court
1: okay and like that we come to the end of the hour a big thanks to captain kirk as always for running the show behind the scenes anything to say kirk soundboard running slow kirk And a huge thanks to our guest today, Carlin. I really appreciate you uh, spending the time talking to us today. Appreciate
0: you guys having me, Captain Kirk. I know I didn't get to hear your voice on the show, but I do appreciate you holding it down behind the scenes.
1: Uh, Carlin, where can people find you if they want to uh, follow you on social?
0: I'm I'm a I'm a Twitter only guy i am I d I'm I'm not on Instagram or Facebook, but at the Cardling you can find me on Twitter. Um that's where I'll respond to, to anything, any tweets, uh if I do decide to open it up. But um, I'm not a huge I watch the social dilemma and I'm on social media uh, completely so uh but Twitter. Twitter's the one that has remained. <laughs>
1: and if you like chatting hoops do join our discord server find us on all of the social media platforms at double clutch uk and join us next week for another exciting guest and another chat about hoops so just like that on to episode 407 next week thank you very much